Hey guys, and welcome to the third episode of 60B Cast. Thank you to everyone who has kept listening from week to week, who's been commenting on all my casts. Everything is greatly appreciated. To remind you, there are a few ways you can get in touch with me. First, email me at podcast60b at yahoo.com, follow me on Twitter at 60bcast, or leave comments on my webpage, 60bcast.net, and I promise to get back to you. Also, you can find my podcast on iTunes by searching 60bcast, or you can find that link as well as all my information on the links page of 60bcast.net in case you forget anything. Now on to one of the best episodes of Dollhouse throughout its entirety, and that's episode 6, Man on the Street. The episode Man on the Street begins with a television reporter sort of claiming the myth of the dollhouse. He's interviewing everyday people to get not only their takes of whether or not they believe the dollhouse is real, but also what's your opinion on it if it is real. And these clips were dispersed throughout the episodes, usually with one to two after each commercial break. I really liked this, just taking everyday people and seeing is the dollhouse completely black and white or could there be some leeway in there? And you get a lot of different opinions from these people. And although it is kind of a Bigfoot type story for the big city, as they stated in the episode, it was nice to see, but what if it's true? I liked the immediate differing of opinions from the first two interviews. You have a woman on one hand who claims that there's no way anyone would volunteer to become a slave. Yet you have the mundane clerk next wishing that someone would offer this to her to give her a second chance. And this is really telling to the entire story of Dollhouse. Throughout the series, we have several differing reasons that our core cast has entered the Dollhouse. We know Caroline was basically forced to enter the Dollhouse after everything that happened between her and Rossum. Priya was drugged and claimed insane before she was forced into the Dollhouse. But on the other hand, you also have people like Tony and Madeline who had their personal choice to walk into the Dollhouse. They had burdens they chose to leave behind, and in payment, they gave five years of their life. Although I'm sure they come to regret this in the end, it doesn't change the fact that, yes, the dollhouse is dirty, but some people choose it over living through their pain. So I thought these first two interviews did a good job to kind of foretell these stories that are to come in season two. Man on the Street also brings Ballard to the forefront of the episode. He's pretty much been side-railed throughout the past few episodes, so it was nice to see him come to the forefront and kind of interact more with our main characters. And again, I wasn't a big fan of his character throughout season one, but it helped him get into the heat of things as opposed to showing a clip here and a clip there that didn't really connect with much of what was happening to the main story. In the next sequence, we come to see Echo and Victor sitting together as Sierra enters, I guess you could say, the dining area of the dollhouse. We would assume that she'd sit next to them, especially if you've been keeping up with the past few episodes like Grey Hour and True Believer, which has sort of shown the grouping of the actives. But Victor notices that Sierra sits alone, so he decides to go over and invite her to sit with himself and Echo. As he does this, she explodes into this crazy scream, and Dr. Saunders comes in and and is trying to figure out what exactly happened when Sierra informs how Victor likes to play that they're married. 
And as we saw in True Believer with the man reactions noted by Topher, this isn't a far stretch of the imagination. Obviously, Sarah's handler's pretty enraged at the fact that not only are these dolls not supposed to have sex drives, but this one is messing with his active. And Boyd notices that he seems to slightly overreact about this situation. We saw on stage fright after Sierra's kidnap that he seemed to not care. He had little or no reaction at all, and it was up to Echo and Boyd to save her. Yet this happens, and he's throwing Victor in the attic. He's saying that Victor's broken, and that Victor is the next alpha. So those of you who have seen this episode know why this is. It's just your basic misdirection, because we know that her handler is actually the one playing house with Sierra. Of course, our ever-evolving Echo kind of steps in and quickly notes that when they enter the pods at night, Sierra cries. This is completely anti the world of dollhouse that they're trying to create. You know, throw pillows and massages to pretty much keep all the dolls relaxed and calm, but apparently something is wrong, so it's the dollhouse's job to now find out exactly what it is that's disturbing Sierra. Is it Victor? Is it something else? So they have to really dig deep to figure out exactly what's going on. As we pan back to the Ballard storyline happening in this episode, we learn that he has tracked down one of the dollhouse's recurring clients, Joel Miner, who is played by the amazingly talented Patton Oswalt. He's supposed to be an internet mogul with more than a couple skeletons in his closet. Another quick note I'd like to mention about this scene between Ballard and his FBI agent who's helping him track down Joel Miner is the sci-fi cult references that Joss throws in. This is his second aired episode to write for Dollhouse, and as with Ghost and the Battlestar Galactica reference that I mentioned, this one is kind of a reference for Trek fans. After Ballard has an altercation with a fellow agent, his friend in the Bureau mentions him puking after Ballard placed him in a Vulcan grip, which we know is a Spock thing from Star Trek. So it's not a huge revelation, but still nice to notice the little things that Josh throws in. As with Ballard, Man on the Street brings another recurring character to the front of the mix. That, of course, is Melly, who's played by Miracle Lori. I mentioned her briefly in episode two as she was kind of spaced out in the last few episodes, but she's really brought into the heat as well with Ballard in this episode. Her character really starts to flesh out, you know, with her budding romance with Ballard. Is she still mysterious? Sure, but not quite as creepy as she has been in the past, so I, I liked uh, Melly a lot in this episode. This is also where we begin to see the competition that sparks between Melly and Echo. Though there's only a brief moment Echo acknowledges this in Season 2, Episode 11, I believe, getting closer, Melly feels it throughout the series. How can someone like her, who obviously has self-esteem issues due to, you know, the influx of blonde-haired Barbies located in Los Angeles, compete with someone as mysterious and beautiful as Echo or Caroline? Ballard's obviously infatuated with her, and she feels that, even when he's focused on her, she always still knows that in the back of his mind, he could be thinking of Caroline. As we get back to Joel Miner, we see him on his lawn in front of this big house. There's security set around the perimeter as Echo pulls up. We assume this is a romantic engagement, although they haven't really let us in on what the imprint is or why she's there. We do assume that they've had a past relationship as Echo gets out of the car and greets Joel and lets him know that there's someone covering for her out at her work, so whatever's happening, it can't take long. Ballard, of course, takes out the security around the perimeter pretty easily. He makes his way inside, and he's pretty much stunned by what he finds. He's been searching for Caroline for quite some time now, and she's standing right in front of him. So that throws his focus off a bit, and it lets the guards take him down. It does give Boyd time to escape with Echo, 
and though Ballard does come out on top eventually, it's too late to save the girl by this point. I have to stop for just a moment to give Eliza some great props for her work with this character, Rebecca Minor. As Joss mentions in the commentary, he wanted to give Eliza a chance to show something different, something she normally wouldn't be offered in a film role. I think this is also how Dollhouse kind of came into existence. During Eliza and Joss's infamous lunch, he came up with a great idea for his show after she asked for career advice. As she mentioned in the film school interview as seen on AMC, or Bio, I believe it is, the interviewer asked how she escaped typecasting, and Eliza's response to this is she's not sure she did. So I think Eliza relaying this sentiment to Joss is how he came up with the idea to have multiple personalities in one person per episode. But back to the actual point at hand, she's hilarious in these scenes. The whole porn scenario becomes quite iconic for Dollhouse. This phrase was even placed on one of the six wrap cakes that the fans sent to the casting crew. It's porn, isn't it? The internet venture that suddenly pays off. You did porn? My husband does porn. No, I don't do porn. You're in huge trouble. Your name is Caroline. You don't know this, but you're being fooled. You're being used. Okay, I'm giving you one last chance to leave. Joel, please don't make him angry. I would never hurt you. Who is this? You know this man? Is this a porn man? No, there's no porn! Don't yell at me! I'm not yelling at you. I just... I don't like this house. Just had to throw in a quick audio clip there for you guys because that's just a great scene that I love from Dollhouse. In the end, we're left with only Ballard and Joel standing. We come to learn that once a year, Joel hires an active to become his deceased wife. Right as he was finally able to make it big and buy a house for his wife that he was proud of, she was killed in an auto accident while actually en route to see Joel's surprise. So each year he tries to relive that through the Dollhouse. The lengthy conversations between these two bring a lot of major character points and themes to the forefront. Joel calls out Ballard on all his obsessive traits in his search for Caroline, while Ballard throws the morals card directly at Joel. Here's where the show really hits that morally gray area. Yes, the dollhouse is evil, dirty, what have you. They've taken seemingly innocent people and turned them into mindless shells to fit whatever a client needs. On the outside, this seems completely black and white, a return to slavery almost. But if you look deeper, it slowly begins to change shades. It's hard not to feel sorry for this man. You can feel his pain as he speaks of the death of his wife. So, do we fight alongside Ballard, who, though he has his issues, we know is doing the right thing? Or do we let the ray of doubt creep into the black and feel sorry for a man who gained and lost everything in the same moment? I give Patton Oswalt all the credit for playing this to perfection. Although normally a comedian, which he does quite well, believe me, I have plenty of his CDs, but... Here's another side that most stand-up artists, A, either don't get to show, or B, would have a hard time pulling off. The next interview really solidifies my last point. If someone signed on to give you one perfect moment in this crazy world that we live in, is that so wrong? Is it truly evil? Or could it somehow be as beautiful as she describes it? And I think that's the central theme to Man on the Street and what makes it such a great episode. The alternate storyline, however, is probably the biggest driving force against these arguments. That, sure, some things may appear morally gray, but at its core, the dollhouse is evil. Pure fact. 
These people, whether they signed up for this or not, are being controlled by other people for the whims of the rich. That's the problem. That's why it can't be beautiful, because it's a system controlled by people, people who have the intentions of living forever, controlling the world, and to become enormously wealthy. And these are things that seem straight from a comic book world, but they become entirely human in this series. Obviously, I've mentioned a lot of good performances from this episode. It features many great performances, not only from the core cast, but also the guest cast, and Inver Jokai is no exception. His innocence really shines in Doll State, which is pretty much all we see him in this episode. His misunderstanding of why Sierra is afraid of him and why everyone is against him is pretty heartbreaking, and I thought Inver conveyed that really well. Boyd eventually decides to take matters into his own hands and claims that it was Victor who has been hurting Sierra, and has Victor as well as his handler removed from the floor. Not long after, we come to realize exactly who and what's making Sierra sad. Her handler is using the trust that the dollhouse placed into her to take advantage of her, forcing Sierra to play a quiet game of rape. As much as Sierra doesn't want to do this, she's basically a helpless child to fight off this predator. And this is where the disgusting blackness of the dollhouse really overwhelms the morally gray storyline featuring Joel Miner. This tech they've used to wipe these people's memories to implant their own is uncontrollable. No matter how much you try or don't try to rein it in, as a professor suggests in one of the final street interviews, if this tech is available, if it's out there, it will be used, it can't be controlled, and it will be the end of humanity as we know it. That's basically what we see in Epitaph 1 and 2 later in this season as well as second season. But thankfully, Boyd's plan is a success and the true villain's captured. Just another small note that I'd like to mention is the relationship again between Dominic and Adele. I love the concern that Dominic has for Adele. He knows the awesome Corporation is going to look pretty bad on this situation that's happened with Sierra and her handler, and not to mention all the other malfunctions that have been happening from the L.A. dollhouse. He recommends an exit strategy to Adele. But, of course, true to her nature, Adele is pretty unwavering in the fact that she's fully capable of spinning this scenario to her favor. As she says in the end, she didn't have a well-played hand, but she played a bad hand very well. And although they seem the same, these are very different things. This fire in Adele is, I believe, how she not only survived the apocalypse, but how she also kind of became the shepherd as noted in Epitaph 2, to bring the world back to where it originally was. Although we don't get an overabundance of Topher in this episode, I find it interesting the process of creating a quote-unquote person. It's very interesting. I believe this is the first or one of the first times we see Topher's actual imprint process of taking many parts of different people and creating the perfect active for the engagement. We also again see him throwing around Ivy as kind of his food slave when though she may not be at Topher's level, is quite an elite graduate. The moral issues are once again brought up during the office scene between Adele, Dominic, and Sierra's handler. As Dominic claims him to be disgusting, the handler quickly notes that there's no difference between what he did and what the dollhouse sends them to do every day. Sure, they imprint them with a personality, but in the end, they have no choice either way. They are what the dollhouse has created them to be, and that's helpless. The line from the scene that solidifies this fact was Adele asking if it made it better that Sierra didn't struggle, and his reply was, it just made it easier. This line again is, I think, why people didn't take kindly to this show. It was inherently dark, darker than anything Whedon had done before. Although there were snarky lines of humor throughout the episode, this show's whole premise was dirty. 
While this intrigued some, I could see it driving away the mass majority of people, as our society tends to mull over topics of controversy rather than deal with them. After this, we see Adele offering this man one final chance, a uh, one-time offer, to wipe his slate clean. But as we know, things in the dollhouse never really happen as intended. His assignment is to take down Melly, who, according to Adele, has learned far too much about the dollhouse. After Ballard and Melly's romantic encounter, he's sent to the tiki port to fetch spring rolls, and this is where he once again encounters Echo, though their interaction won't be as pleasant as the last. This fight scene, which takes place both inside and outside of the Tiki Port, is by far the best in Dollhouse, and maybe even in the Whedon universe. The choreography was precise, the stunt work as well as the cast work by both Tomo and Eliza was spot on. It also took the best part about Joss fight scenes and rolled with it, and that's they used what surrounds them. There were really no weapons per se, but the pots and knives inside the restaurant worked well. I never get tired of seeing Echo's reflection in the glass, because that means that it, the adrenaline's on. In the end of the fight, Echo comes out on top with Ballard now having a gun forced into his face. Although you'd expect to see Ballard killed here, we learn that while Topher was off talking engagement logistics with Boyd, someone inside the dollhouse has corrupted Echo's imprint. Through this, we learn one huge fact, that there are over 20 dollhouses worldwide with a government hand in each. This ups the scale 100-fold in terms of Ballard ever even cracking the surface of bringing this place down. We also learn that Although most dollhouse outings are based in fantasy, they have an underlying purpose this spy wants to find out. In the end, we learn exactly what this purpose is, but for the arcing storylines, this sets up a ride straight to the finale. As opposed to killing him, they settle for getting him kicked out of the FBI and seemingly off the dollhouse's trail. Knowing they'll no longer expect Ballard as a threat, Echo points out that they'll protect the identity of the dollhouse at all costs, which means no one else can know. Ballard soon realizes her meaning and goes for Millie. As we cut back to her, we hear a haunting track play as Sierra's former handler bursts through the door and throws her around a bit. To me, this run of Ballard trying to save Millie is a lot like Buffy running back to save her friends and becoming part one. Knowing no matter how fast our heroes run, it's going to be too late. As Buffy finds Xander and Willow hurt, Giles kidnapped, and Kendra dead, you feel the dread that Millie will be gone. But in typical Whedon style, we get another twist for the hour. Millie is actually an active designate November, and also the first sleeper active shown in Dollhouse. Through a trigger spoken by Adele, November is immediately turned into a deadly assassin with only one goal in mind, and that's elimination. Of course, that's what happens. Once the handler's dead, November is again deactivated to Millie, with Ballard rushing in to find the remains of the situation. In the final montage, we see Ballard losing his badge, the dollhouse giving up on chasing him, and Echo finishing her initial engagement with Joel Miner. It's hard to believe an episode as disgustingly dark as this one can end on such a beautiful note, and that's the intrigue of Dollhouse. You never know what it is you're going to get. Dark, light, action, comedy, it's everything packed into one. Hence my love for the show. I rate Man on the Street an A+. I could find nothing in this episode to subtract points. It was a beautifully disturbing piece that Joss and company should be proud to have created. Forget morality. Imagine it's true. Right? Imagine this technology being used. Now imagine it being used on you. Everything you believe, gone. Everyone you love, strangers, maybe enemies. Every part of you that makes you more than a walking cluster of neurons dissolved at someone else's whim. If that technology exists, 
It'll be used. It'll be abused. It'll be global. And we will be over. As a species, we will cease to matter. I don't know. Maybe we should. If I could write out my own dream For the next time that I sleep You'd be the first one that I see And I the last one that you keep And the dream wouldn't go on and on While we swayed Against all things thrown our way And the morning would be so cool When it came with sunshine and warmth to blame For announcing the end of my sweet dream For announcing the end of my sweet dream Again, I hope you guys enjoyed this cast. Please email me any thoughts, concerns, everything from you guys is so appreciated. Hearing from you means you're still listening, right? You can contact me via email at podcast60b at yahoo.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at 60bcast. Did I miss 60b? Did I miss 60b? Did I miss 60b? No! Did I miss 60b?